Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Living Hope. All of us here in the room, those of you joining us online, we're glad that you're with us. We like to uh, greet each other with this greeting Christians have been using for a long, long, long time. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Thank you. We believe that's true, that the Lord meets us here. That when we gather to worship him, uh, whether we're here in the room or whether we're checking in online, uh, we believe that God meets us right where we live. And uh, I, I am so grateful for that. Uh, so let's bow our heads and talk to him before we begin. God, thank you for inviting us into this hour where we can uh, focus on you for a bit, where we can sing to you and pray to you and listen for you speaking through the scriptures and even gather around the table of our Lord Jesus. Uh, God, I pray that for each and every one of us that we would have a, a real sense that the God who made us is here with us. And not just that, but that you love us, that you know what we're going through, and that as we turn to you, you are, you are able to give us grace for those, ways, those places where we've failed and we need your forgiveness. You're able to give us wisdom for those places where we are feeling confused or anxious. You're able to give us peace or healing or joy. God, you're able to give us the strength that we need, all that we need, God. I pray that you would help us to, to truly connect with you, to be open to you, honest with you, so that uh, we can be open to you being honest with us. Thank you, God. We are so grateful for the opportunity to worship you today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, if you're able, interested, let's stand and let's sing. Come, let us sing. Unto the Lord, new songs of praise with sweet accord. For wonders great, my him undone. His hand and arm have victory won. His hand and arm have victory won. The great salvation of our God is seen through all the earth abroad before the seeker's wandering sight he hath revealed his truth and right he hath revealed his truth and right sing hallelujah to the king oh hear the praise that we bring from earth's domain to heaven's door come let us sing unto the Lord he called to mind his truth and grace in promise made to Israel's race and unto earth's remotest bound Glad tidings of salvation sound Glad tidings of salvation sound All lands to God, lift up your voice Sing praise to Him 
with shouts rejoice with voice of joy and loud acclaim let's all unite in praise his name let all unite in praise his name sing alleluia to the king oh hear the praises that we bring from earth's domain to heaven's door Come let us sing unto the Lord Sing alleluia to the King Oh hear the praises that we bring From earth's domain to heaven's door Come let us sing unto the Lord Sing hallelujah to the King. Oh, hear the praises that we bring from earth's domain to heaven's door. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. From earth's domain to heaven's door. Come, let us sing unto the Lord. Touch 
Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word from heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride with his own blood he bought her and for her life he died she is from every nation Yet one o'er all the earth Her charter of salvation One Lord, one faith, one birth One holy name she blesses Partakes one holy food And to one hope she presses With every grace endued Then church shall never perish Her dear Lord to defend To guide, sustain, and cherish With her to the end Though there be those who hate her And false sons in her pale Against both foe or traitor, she ever shall prevail. Yet she on earth hath union with God the three in one. And mystics we communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we 
Like them the meek and lowly On high may dwell with thee bow your heads with me. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you have called us from all the different places where, where we have been, all the different peoples that we come from, uh, the different backgrounds represented. And God, you have gathered us together to be your people. You have embraced us and adopted us as your own children. You've given us brothers and sisters for the journey that I can encourage and support us and sometimes carry us to you and we cannot get to you ourselves who can continue to believe when we find our faith is, has run out. God, thank you uh, for being our foundation, for, for being our refuge, our strength, for being the one we can depend on when all else fails. You are good to us, God. And sometimes we, we don't feel it Sometimes we can't see it. Uh, we look at our lives or we look at the world around us and we just think, well, we don't know what to think, God. It doesn't make sense to us. It's falling apart. Things don't seem to be going in all the direction that we thought it should. And we wonder sometimes if you're really even there. God, for all of those uh, today who are in that place, I pray that you would reach out by your Holy Spirit and remind us of your presence, remind us of your love, that you would send one of your kids, some person, uh, their way to say, you know, you're loved, God is good, to help lift our eyes from what we can get so focused on and to see the, the many ways that you bless us each and every day. Thank you, God, uh, that you don't expect us to kind of get everything together and then come to you, but you reach out to us. When we're still sinners, Christ died for us, the Bible tells us. We are the lost sheep who wander off, and you are the good shepherd who comes looking for us, lifts us up, rescues us, and brings us home. Would you do that for us today, God? Would you show yourself to be the God who loves us, the God who is here the God who can actually do something about our circumstances, about our world. Thank you, God, for the ways that you are at work and the ways that we are going to see you at work in the days ahead as we trust you, as we cry out to you, as we allow you to work through us to bring blessing to those around us. You are so good, God. Thank you for meeting us here. Help us to continue to, to connect with you and to hear from you as together we continue to worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the peace of the Lord be with you. That was a little half-hearted, but I'll take it. Uh, let's take a couple minutes to extend that peace to each other. Shake somebody's hand. Welcome them to, to church this morning. Just say hi. I hope you all had a chance to grab one of these on the way in. A uh, little handout lets you know what's happening around here. If not, I see some more on the little table back there. Um, uh, also back there are the little green cards. If you have a question or a uh, way we can pray for you or thank God with you, we'd love to know that. Just jot out on one of those cards. Or you can go online and go to livinghope.info connect 
and, uh, and fill out one of those little digital connect cards there. Especially those of you who are joining us online. Uh, I, I loved it this last week. I got a couple of them from you. And uh, since I didn't get to just shake your hand or say hi or anything like that, let us know that you're with us. Drop us a note in the comments. Or if you want us to pray for you or you've got a question you want to ask, livinghope.info slash connect a good way to get that to us. Uh, all of you in the room, you can just drop that card in the offering box. You can drop any offering you're given in there too. Thank you to those of you who give faithfully uh, here and online. Um, my wife and I like the online option because for years we would, every Sunday, we're like, did you bring the checkbook? Oh, I forgot. I was supposed to. Oh, man, okay. And uh, now we barely write checks anymore, and uh, we can just do it online. So we're thankful for that and, uh, and for all of you who, uh, who give faithfully to help us do all the different things that we do around here day in and day out. So a couple things coming up. Uh, one is the 6K for water is still right around the corner, and they surprised us. They, they tossed us one last little promo code. So there's a $10 off thing. Uh, if you want to register, it's good until midnight this Wednesday, May 3rd. So if you hadn't signed up yet, you've been waiting to sign up, hey, it paid off. You can get $10 off your registration. They've got other donors that are going to cover that part for you. So you can go to valpo6k.com and use that little uh, yes to water promo code when you get to the end. Uh, and it's on the back of your little thing under the 6K deal, so you don't have, to, don't have to remember it. If you're watching online, I guess you might have to write down yes to water, uh, all one word. And uh, yeah, on May 20th, we'll be doing five laps across the street, uh, which is 6K, three and three quarter miles. Uh, it's the average distance that people have to walk for dirty water in many other parts of the world. Uh, people like Juliet, age 13, and Molly, she's one that in a year past had received uh, clean water through, through these efforts. And if, when you register, you'll get a t-shirt in the mail, you'll get one of these that you can pin to, your, pin to your chest on the day of the event. You don't have to run, you don't even have to go the whole 6K, all right? You can just go out there and do one lap and sit down and say, that's it, I'm just eating bananas the rest of the time. And uh, your donation has already taken care of the clean water. But anyway, if you want to join us, that'd be great. And then uh, this afternoon, today, uh, we're having lunch, Living Hope 101. Uh, that'll be right back here in the, the elementary room is the next the next smallest room, and uh, so we'll be having some pizza in there and talking for about an hour and a half about the church and who we are and how you can get connected here. If you want to be a part of that and you haven't let me know already, please grab me after the service and say, hey, I'm, I'm going to be there. I'm coming back uh, for that this afternoon, and that way I can make sure that I've got enough handouts for everybody, and I think we've got enough pizza no matter what. So, All right, so that's happening today, too. If you can't make it today and you're interested, let me know because we'll plan another one uh, probably a couple months from now and to make sure that you, uh, you get invited. So... I feel like there was something else I was supposed to say, and now I forgot what it was. I know Mother's Day is right around the corner. We're looking forward to that. Uh, oh, there's a National Day of Prayer that we're just going to be a group of us gathering at the courthouse at like 12:15, I think, for a half hour of prayer. If you want to join us on May 4th, um, anyway. So, what's that? Yeah, when did those start again? Oh, it's May 20th, right? Yeah, the same day we're doing the 6K, we're going to have bikes out here. So you might remember the last couple of years we've partnered with the Odd Fellows here in town. They, uh, they receive donated bikes, they fix them up, and they donate them uh, back to people. And so if you know somebody that's got a bike to donate or you know somebody that needs a bike, uh, it could be an adult, it could be a kid, um, they will be out here from 9 to noon, I think, right, on Saturday, May 20th. So while we're walking over there, they'll be over here giving bikes away. So they're, gonna, they're planning to do that once a month through the summer. So, and this will be the first one of this year. I know I've already had people asking, like, hey, when are you guys doing that bike thing again? And uh, so if you have somebody ask you, you can say, oh, Saturday, May 20th, 9 to noon. They'll be right here. Um, is, that, is there anything else I was supposed to say something about? Everything else is good? Okay. Thanks, Howard, for making sure I didn't forget that. All right. Um, I got a quick question for you as we dive into today's message. How many of you um, have ever gotten dressed in the dark in the morning? Does that backfire on any of you? 
You ever, ever have that backfire? You know, it's like it's too dark, you try not to wake people up, so you grabbed what you thought was matching clothes, and you didn't take a real careful look, and then you get to where you're going, and you're like, these are two different shoes, you know, or, um, or oh, this shirt does not match these pants like I thought it did, or uh, if you're somebody who wears earrings, I guess you can, you know, mismatch earrings or whatever, um, suddenly you find out your hair doesn't look like it's supposed to, um, or whatever it is, because you were in the dark and you couldn't see yourself clearly when you were getting ready. Um, I, as I was thinking about this idea of seeing clearly, which is kind of the theme of today's message, uh, <clears throat> I thought of all the different times when I've asked Stacy where something is in our house, and uh, she tells me, and I tell her, no, it's not there. I just looked there. It's not there. And she says, yes, it is. <laughs> and I say, no, I'm really sure it's not. I just looked there. And she comes over and opens that cabinet or that refrigerator and grabs the thing and hands it to me, and I say, I guess it, you just put that there or something, you know, because it was not there 30 seconds ago when I looked. Um, you know, things just hidden from our sight or something. Um, this, uh, this idea, as we're, as we're wrapping up the book of Numbers today, there's a, an interesting story that's all about being able to see what's there, being able to see reality, and sometimes we can see it and sometimes we can't, and for some of us today, if we could just see things clearly, man, we'd have so much more peace man, we wouldn't be so afraid as we walk through life. We wouldn't have as much anxiety because we, if we see ourselves the way God sees us, and so many times it's just, it's just hidden from us. We can't see clearly. Um, the story comes right near the end of the book of Numbers. It's, it's kind of in between two stories we've already looked at. Uh, I think Easter Sunday, we talked about that moment where uh, the people grumbled and God sent a bunch of snakes and they were biting people and tells Moses to lift up a snake and uh, make a snake and lift it up on a pole. And if people are bit, they'll look at the snake and live. It's a weird story that Jesus used to talk about himself, how when he was lifted up on a cross, that people who looked to him would find a life. And so we celebrated that Easter Sunday morning, uh, the life that we find in Jesus. And then uh, last week, Pastor Judy, she's at her son's graduation from Otterbein today. Uh, she preached from a story right after this one. That snake one's right before this. She preached from a story right after this where they counted all the people again and divided up the land. And uh, they were only given land to, you know, to fathers and to sons. And these five daughters said, hey, our, our dad's gone and he didn't have any sons. This law as it's written right now is leaving a gap. It's, it's kind of creating an injustice here. And they, they were bold enough to speak up in front of Moses and the community, the whole community. Um, it's one of those kind of in front of God and everybody moments because they're right in front of the, the tent of meeting where God's presence is known too. And they stand up and say, this isn't fair. And Moses goes to God and God says, yeah, they're right. This isn't fair. And, uh, and they adjust the law to, to fit the, the injustice that's taking place to make sure that, that these daughters get an equitable share in the land and that their father's name can live on into the future. And um, this story falls right in between those two stories. It's a, one of those weird ones that maybe you heard uh, growing up. I know when I was talking with uh, Jason and, and Pastor Judy about what I might preach for the last numbers message, uh, Judy was all like, oh, you got to do that story. And Jason's like, no, no, you can't do that story. I've heard that story a million times. The story about Balaam uh, and his donkey some of you are like, oh, yeah, I know that story. And some of you are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Some guy and a donkey. Uh, it's to the point of Israel's story where they've been, they've been doing well. They're on a winning streak. Uh, they're almost to the promised land. They've already done the 40 years in the wilderness. And all the first generation who rebelled against God have all died off. Now this is the next generation coming up ready to move into the land. They're right on the border of it. 
In fact, that's how the story starts in Numbers 22. Then the Israelites traveled to the plains of Moab and camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. And if you know the story of what comes after this, like in the book of Joshua, the Jordan River is the, like the property line for the promised land. And when they cross over that Jordan River, there's this big moment with Jericho. They march around it and they blast some trumpets and the walls come tumbling down. Kids songs get written about that one, right? They are like within spitting distance of the land that God wants to give them. They're right there across the river in the plains of Moab. And they have just been kicking butt and taking names uh, leading up to this, all right? They've, they've defeated one country. They've defeated another king as they've been moving through the land. They keep saying to folks like, please, we're just going to stay on the road. We're just passing through. We don't want any trouble. Um, we're not going to eat, you know, eat any of your crops. We're not going to drink from your wells. We're just going to stay on the road. And over and over again, the nations they're moving through say, no, you can't come through here. And they go charge in to do battle with them. And Israel keeps winning. God is helping them to win battle after battle. And so now here they show up in Moab, and it says, Now Balak, son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. Uh, so Balak, son of Zippor, who was king of Moab at that time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor. And for all of us, we're just like, yeah, who's that? But for people in those days, they would have said, Ooh, Balaam. Whoa, because Balaam was not a good dude. Balaam was this guy who was known in the area as like, he's like in touch with like the spiritual stuff. He can call down curses. He can like, he can do things that other people can't do. He's calling in Balaam. Oh, man. Here's the message that he sends to Balaam. He says, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then, if you curse them, perhaps then I'll be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. It's like you're in touch with something supernatural, and so that's why I'm calling you to come. And he doesn't just invite them. He, like, sends them a bunch of money. He's, like, hiring Balaam to come out and do this. And that's where if you type Balaam into your little search engine or, like, you're at BibleGateway.com or the Bible app, and you just type in his name, and you want to know, like, okay, what are some of the things that, where does Balaam show up in the story? His name pops up several times, and some of them are for the idea of, like, uh, taking money for spiritual services or something like that. Like, he was, he was willing to be bought and paid for. Uh, to, to pronounce a blessing or a curse. He, he wasn't a good guy. And the fact that now he's coming to, like, curse Israel is the kind of thing that you think, oh, oh, this isn't, this isn't going to be good. Now, I, I wanted to, in particular to quote that first little section there uh, from Numbers 22 because there are all these neat little parallels going on. This is just a little sidetrack, but if you're, if you get into Bible nerdery, uh, you might get a kick out of this. You, you might remember the, the story began back in Exodus where they they leave this kingdom where they're enslaved, and they move through the, the wilderness to Mount Sinai. That's all the book of Exodus, right? And then they spend all Leviticus there at Mount Sinai with God and understanding how to live with God. And then they spend numbers traveling away from Mount Sinai to the promised land. And here on the other side, it's almost like it parallels. There was this powerful king who, they're even using some of the same words. If you go back to Exodus uh, chapter 1, you, you see like uh, Pharaoh is saying some of these same things about Israel at the time. There are so many of them. Uh, this is a problem. The, the idea that the whole land was filled with dread because of them. It's the same, same word. And so they're, they're writing this story. And it's like, oh, that's kind of like what happened back in Egypt. You know, they're filled with dread because of all these folks. And this king now. And, and then the, the language about being who you bless is blessed, who you curse is cursed. The last time we heard language kind of like that was back in Genesis 
when God makes this uh, promise to Abraham that your descendants will be this amazing nation and, and whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And so they're, just by the language they're using as they're telling the story, they're, they're kind of tying back to earlier parts of the story. They're saying these are these same people who are blessed by God and now, ooh, now's the challenge. Because just like the king of Egypt was threatened, now the king of Moab feels threatened and he's bringing somebody in to do some cursing, right? And back in Egypt, God showed up, right, and did some amazing supernatural things to the, to the nation of Egypt, really hurt them in lots of ways until finally Pharaoh was willing to let them leave. And so you kind of wonder, okay, are we about to see like 10 plagues get called down on Israel? Or what's going to happen here? Something, something supernatural is about to take place. We're kind of being primed to expect this by the way they're telling the story. And they've called in Balaam, son of Beor. It's a fun name. Anyway, and so Balaam, uh, he says, let me take this under advisement. You guys stay, you messengers from Balak. You stay, let me see what God says about this. And that night, God appears to Balaam in a vision and says, nope. Uh, well, that's, I put that in your notes, actually, verse 12. But God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. So God says, no, you can't do that. And so Balaam gets up the next morning and says, sorry, I can't do that. God says, I can't curse them. So the only way. They go back to Balak. They say he won't come. He thinks he's holding out for more money. He thinks it's a negotiating tactic. He sends more important people to him and uh, with even more money. I say, please, come with us. Curse these people. And Balaam does the same thing. He's like, mm, let me check with God again. Maybe he's changed his mind. You know, he's like, eh, for this price, I'd be willing to do this maybe. And, and God this time says, that night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. So Balaam goes. Got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And let me just know that's a little confusing. It's like, you just said he could go. Now you're angry. Evidently, God knew something we don't. You know, maybe Balaam was still, like, hoping that by the time he gets there, maybe he can work up a good curse or, or find a, a loophole. You know, God says they're blessed, but maybe I can, you know, kind of curse them sideways or something. I don't know. Uh, all we know is that God's angry. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. Balaam was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get back, get it back on the road. Donkey sees the angel. Balaam doesn't. Donkey's not doing what Balaam wants him to do. Get back on the road, stupid donkey. And, and he does. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall. It's like trying not to get too close to this freaky-looking angel with a sword in his hand. He ran right up against the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn either to the right or to the left. Up to now, the donkey's been like, I'm just going to go that way, or I'm going to squeeze through this narrow spot. And now there's nothing. No place, no way around this angel with a sword. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. He just said, I'm not doing it. <laughs> just lay down right there. And he was angry and beat it with a staff. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth. And it said to Balaam, what have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? I'm, 
I'm trying not to do my Eddie Murphy donkey from Shrek impression, all right? But that's all I can hear in my head. So all I can hear in my head is the donkey talks to him. I can hear Eddie in, it's in Eddie Murphy's voice. What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? Balaam answered the donkey. Doesn't miss a beat. Evidently, this was, I don't know, surprise me if that happened to me. Balaam answered the donkey. You've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you right now. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you've always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? No, he said. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell face down. Now Balaam's on the ground, bowing before this angel, because now he can see. <laughs> he couldn't see it before, but he can see it now. The angel of the Lord asked him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you, because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now, but I would have spared it. So Balaam had just been threatening, if I had a sword, I'd kill you. And the angel's like, well, yeah, I would have done that to you. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you're displeased, I will go back. The angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with. Balak's officials. So weird story, right? I mean, the whole thing is weird. God had just said, go ahead and go with them. Like, okay, I'll go with them. And then you're angry with me. You don't want me to go with you. You're threatening to kill me. But so, okay, well, I'll turn around. No, no, no. Go ahead, go with them. Like, Bleh. for Balaam, this must have been a, a, a wee bit confusing, besides the fact that now his donkey can talk. I kind of wonder if that continued after that. Doesn't say then God closed the mouth of the donkey after that. Maybe, maybe there's a nice talkative donkey the rest of his life. I don't know. But we have this moment where. You know, and, and sometimes the, the lesson or the moral of the story or whatever, that, you know, the pastor pulls out. And, and it's one that, granted, I take comfort in sometimes. Like, well, if God can talk through a donkey, he can talk through me, right? So people who have to get up and talk to people like pastors, it's like, okay, I guess God can talk through me even if I don't feel as prepared as I should be or, or as, uh, like, I'm not worthy to stand in front of folks or whatever. But you know what? If God can talk through a donkey, okay, he can talk through me too. And if I make a donkey of myself, okay, that's all right. But that's not the, that's not the lesson we're, we're pulling out today. Because the, the theme that keeps popping up here and in the rest of the story about Balaam is this, this idea of your eyes being open, being able to see what's right in front of you. And, uh, you know, sometimes I can't help but wonder if, you know, we go through life and we can't see, you know, we don't, we don't see the whole picture, right? Uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, so I didn't have room to shove this onto the paper. 1 Corinthians 13, uh, near the end of the chapter, he talks about how I, I see through a glass dimly or in a mirror, like in a foggy mirror. He just... He says, my, my knowledge is unlimited. I only know in part. And that's true for all of us, right? We can't see the whole picture. Right? There are things that are just like, okay, I kind of I have an idea, but I, I can't see it clearly. Now, that didn't stop the Apostle Paul, right, from trusting Jesus wholeheartedly and giving his life for Christ and going out and telling people confidently what God has done and, and, <laughs> and that people can be forgiven and, and find new life in Christ. But there are all kinds of times where we go through life and we... We just, we don't see clearly. We think we do. We think we've got the whole picture, right? And I, I think there's just a human thing where we, we have a hard time realizing the limitations of our perception. We think we can see what's there. We think we've got the whole story. And this pops up time and time again when people come to me as their pastor with a frustration, with a coworker, with a friend, with a neighbor who, you know, said this thing to them and they just know. 
that they said that or they did that because they're a jerk or because they're angry or because they're whatever. And I try to remind them, like, maybe they were just having a bad day. Or are you sure? Have you talked to them? No. Well, are you sure that you heard them correctly? You know, and every now and then you go back and it's like, oh, you know what? I totally misheard them. They were, you know, they were on the phone. I thought they were talking to me. They were talking to somebody else. And, you know, I got upset for nothing, you know, or they were just having a bad day. And when I did talk to them, they apologized right away. And I guess I don't have to lose this friendship after all, you know. We think we've got the whole picture. We think we can see people's motivations. We think we know what's going on. And sometimes we just, we can't see everything. We make these assumptions. Sometimes we go through life and our donkey is, you know, veering off. It's smashing our foot. It's laying down, not doing what We're having problems. You know, life is not going the way we want it to go. We've got, I'm headed that way and life keeps, you know, taking me other directions. And man, I, I wonder if sometimes maybe our problems aren't, in Balaam's story anyway, his problem was protecting him, right? Maybe sometimes that's what our problems are doing for us. Maybe, maybe we think this is some terrible thing, and really it's God saying, like, no, no, no. no you didn't want to go down that road, or you didn't want to go down that road yet. You know? Have you ever had one of those moments where you're traveling somewhere, and uh, you, you, know, you have a little hard time getting out of the house, can't find your keys, or something doesn't, you know, something doesn't quite go right, or the kids aren't getting ready as fast as they're supposed to, or whatever it might be, and so you're a little bit later than you, you want to be getting out of the house, and then you're driving, and you pass like a bad accident, and you think, oh, I guess it's a good thing I left just a couple minutes later. I could have been in that accident. Have you ever, am I the only one that's had that happen? I, I'm, I'm guessing a few of us occasionally have had that kind of thing happen. And something that's frustrating us I mean, who knows, if we could see the whole picture, maybe the reality is God is using that to protect us from something that would do us all kinds of harm. It's easier for us to see the things that God, like, rescues us out of, right? You know, we get, we get stuck in some addiction, or we get stuck in some, uh, we, we blow up a relationship, or we, you know, whatever it is, some sinful habit, and we get mired in it, and it wrecks things, and then God <laughs> rescues us, right? He, he picks us up, he washes us clean, he forgives our sins, he helps us to restore some relationships that we've broken, perhaps, uh, helps us to get back on a better path, and it's a, it's a beautiful testimony, we can see God's hand at work. As we look back, we can see God rescued me from that, and oh, I'm so grateful. I remember a youth pastor I had when I was a teenager. Uh, he and his wife had very different stories. One of them, yeah, their story was like that. It's like, yep, I had these horrible things involved in my life, and God rescued me from that. He, he got me out of that. He helped me to get on a better path to turn my life around, and I'm so grateful for it. The other one, and this has been long enough ago, 48, I can't remember which one it was. The other one, their story was the things that God had, like, prevented them from going down. They're like, I could have easily gone down a similar path, but God you know, put me in a family where, you know, I, I had caring parents, and, and God surrounded me with friends, and, and God helped me to find a, a youth group, and God helped me to, to stay on a better path. He, he kept me, he rescued me from ever experiencing those things in the first place, and that's a lot harder to see, right? Because we don't see the things. We don't see the path we didn't go down. We don't always see the accident we didn't get in. We don't always see the problem that we didn't experience because, you know, God did something else beforehand to to help us to avoid it. So that's one of the things that I think of when I, I read this story about Balaam and his talking donkey is uh, yeah, sometimes maybe I, maybe I shouldn't get quite so frustrated with the things that go wrong in my day, in my life, because maybe God knows what he's doing and maybe God is going to work through this for my good, right? That's another verse I didn't get a chance to shove in here. Romans 8, 28, 
right? You can write that in the side if you want and look it up later. But it's the one that says, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Maybe my problem is my protection. Maybe God is at work, even in this difficulty. And instead of getting frustrated, I can just turn to God and say, okay, God, hmm, I'm not liking this. I'm trusting you. I'm going to keep doing what I think you want me to do. I'm going to keep going that direction, but it's taking me longer. I'm having, a, having some problems, but I'm going to trust you, God, that you're going to get me through these problems. You're going to get me where you want me to go. So <clears throat> Balaam does get go with Balak's officials. Eventually he's talking to Balak, and Balak's like, what took you so long? And Balaam's like, long story. And, uh, and so he takes him to a place where he can see just the outskirts of Israel's camp because um, there's like too many people for him to see the whole thing. So he takes him on this hill, and, and Balaam says, put seven altars up, and they sacrifice all these animals. And Balaam says, I'm going to go see if God says something. And God says to him, well, this is, this is the message that Balaam said, the, this first message. Then Balaam spoke this message. Balak brought me from Aram, the king of Moab from the eastern mountains. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? From the rocky peaks, I see them. From the heights, I view them. I see a people who live apart and who do not consider themselves one of the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or even a fourth of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and may my final end be like theirs. So he doesn't curse them. In fact, he kind of says, these guys are righteous. They're doing good stuff. Balak's ticked off, right? He's like, I hired you to curse them. You're pronouncing that sounded more like a blessing. This isn't right. It's like I, Balaam's like, I can only, I only say what God tells me to say. So Balak seems to think, well, maybe you just can't see well enough. And so he takes him to a different spot where you can see them a little bit better. And says, try here. Okay, set up seven altars, kill a bunch of animals, sacrifice stuff. I'll go see what God might say to me. And he goes off and, uh, and again, comes back with a message. I didn't put the whole thing in here, but, um, but this is part of his message. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot change it. And he goes on to pronounce more blessings on Israel. He's like, look, God is in charge. I can't, I can't change it. I'm tempted, as I read this story, to think of Balaam as a good guy. Um, because he seems to be listening to God, doing what God says. He doesn't listen to God and then say, yeah, I'm cursing him anyway. He's paying me a lot of money. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to pronounce a curse. He seems like he's doing what God tells him to do. Now, again, from other places he's mentioned, I realize he's not a good guy, and he actually even appears in other literature, like from the time. Um, this Balaam character does. Not a good guy. But in this case, he's saying, look, I, God's blessed them. I, I can't do anything about that. I can't change that. Balak's ticked. Again, takes him to a different spot. Maybe you can see better here. And this time, Balaam, it says they, they set up the altar, they kill a bunch of animals. So there's, there's these three moments that kind of parallel the three donkey moments where, where Balaam's getting angry because his donkey won't do what he's telling him. And now we've got Balak getting angry because Balaam won't do what he's saying. Balaam's the donkey now, I guess. Anyway, um, <clears throat> and the third time he gets up, he can see better. And this time, it says Balaam doesn't go off and do his little divination, whatever he's trying to do. He just turns and looks out at the wilderness at the people of Israel, and he just... He just speaks. It says, when Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, oh, actually it says, the Spirit of God came on him, and he spoke this message. The prophecy of Balaam, son of Beor, the prophecy of one whose eyes see clearly. And this is something he says a couple of different times. 
He's like, I am seeing clearly. Balak, you see a threat, but I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing clearly. My eyes have been opened, you know. I'm seeing clearly. And he goes on to pronounce a whole bunch of blessings on Israel, and then he ends it by saying, may those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Which ties directly back to that, that Genesis thing where God says this to Israel. At this point, it says Balak, like, claps his hands together. He's just so frustrated. He's like, man, I just quit blessing, quit cursing, just stop doing anything. Just go home. And Balaam says, okay, but first... I got a few more. He like pulls out four other little messages, one for Balak and one for a couple other nations nearby about what God's going to do because they're trying to curse Israel. There's negative consequences coming their way. Now this, there's all kinds of interesting stuff going on in the story that we don't have time to dig into. Uh, it's kind of hard to see in some of our English translations, but Balaam, uh, you know, they're living in a, in a polytheistic world, right, where they think there's lots of gods. And, uh, and Balaam, in his messages, uses multiple names for God. Uh, calls him El, calls him Elyon, calls him Shaddai, calls him Yahweh, calls him the, the, the Hebrew name for God. Uses all these different names that other people at the time might have thought of as separate gods and just points them all toward the same God. As if to say, look, there's just one God, all right? You guys think there's all these different competing gods? There's just one God, and he's telling me these people are blessed. Nothing I can do about that. Um, so there's this neat kind of challenge to a polytheistic worldview in this. Uh, sorry. Um, <clears throat> but one thing, uh, uh, at least a couple things that, are, that come to mind from this story. One is tying right into a conversation I've just had in the past couple of weeks with somebody who, who is tuned into the fact that there's a spiritual war that goes on in our world, right? That there are forces of evil that are trying to do wrong. And they were starting to get kind of afraid um, because they said, you know, there's this other bad person over there. And they're, they're doing witchcraft, or they're doing this other thing. They're trying to, they're trying to hurt me. They're trying to hurt my daughter. They're trying to, and, and they, were feeling, they were feeling kind of scared by that. And, uh, and all that I could think of in my head was like, but, but God is on your side, right? I mean, if God has blessed you, then even if some bad dude has paid a bunch of money to curse you, um, like there's nothing you can do about it, like you said. They've been blessed. I, I can't change that. Like, we Christians don't need to live in fear. Uh, yeah, there's, there's a spiritual battle that goes on. The, the Bible's clear about that. You know, our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against principles and powers and, you know, dark forces. Um, the Bible says that, you know, your enemy isn't that person over there, right? There's, there's a, you've got a spiritual enemy. Um, but that doesn't mean we have to be afraid. It doesn't mean we have to live life wondering, like, uh-oh, if somebody over there tries, is cursing me, then I'm, I'm in for it. Like, no, no, right? Here's a story right here that we just happen to be <laughs> coming to in, in the Bible about somebody who really wanted a curse. And that's where some of the other uh, verses where Balaam gets mentioned later, they say, like, he tried to curse Israel, but God wouldn't listen to him, and God blessed him anyway. And so that's one of those things, like, okay, Balaam maybe doesn't, isn't quite the good guy that he comes across in this particular story. You know, he was doing his best to curse him, and he just couldn't make it happen. And for me, that kind of gives me comfort. As somebody that, if I can see clearly, if I can know myself as God knows me, if I can know who I really am as someone loved by God, as someone who he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for my sins, you know, it, it, I don't have to, to worry about all that stuff. I can know God's got me in the palm of his hand. And yes, I'll go through suffering in this life. We all go through suffering. Jesus suffered 
and died, right? We follow a crucified Savior. So we should all expect that, yes, there will be suffering at some point, but, but we also serve a God who raises the dead. And so we don't need to be afraid. Or in the language of Psalm 23, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So Balaam could see the people for who they were. A righteous people, a people set apart, a people blessed by God. Unfortunately, the people of Israel didn't quite see themselves that same way. That one of the interesting things about this story is the people of Israel aren't characters in this story. They're just off in the distance, down in the valley. Um, all this is going on without their, maybe even without their knowledge, right? But if you get to the next chapter, and what you read about what they're doing down there is they're starting to uh, veer off course. They're, they're allowing the, the, well, the Israelite guys are being uh, fallen for Moabite women, and they're going with them to worship at their temples and uh, follow this other God instead of staying true to the God who has brought them through so much, the God who has blessed them. The danger isn't that some far-off spiritual thing is going to come out and get them. The danger is that, that we won't see ourselves for who we are and that we'll live in a way that doesn't line up with who God has called us to be. But man, if we could see ourselves clearly, if we could see us the way God sees us, as people that he loves, as people that he has sacrificed so much for, as people that God is, is caring for and providing for, then I think we could go through this life with some confidence, you know, that says no matter what I face, no matter what I have to go through, I'm trusting God. I'm trusting that he's got me. That God has truly blessed. And I don't have to worry about somebody else coming along and trying to do something different. Well, I just wanted to end the message with this, uh, this blessing that was, comes way earlier in the book of Numbers. I've mentioned it before. We use this often at the end of our services. This is where it appears, is in this, this unusual book, where God gives this blessing to Moses and Aaron to proclaim over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Man, may we know ourselves to be blessed by God. May we experience that peace. May we know his face turned toward us and know that it's not a face you know, like darkened by anger or frustration or, you know, that when God looks at us, he looks at us with love, with compassion, with gentleness, like a parent looking at their child. All right, let's, let's pray before we celebrate communion together. God, we need you to... Uh, open our eyes to, to remove the veil, <laughs> to, to help us to see what's right in front of us. God, you know that uh, sometimes we can miss it. And so I pray that you would help us to see um, what's really going on in our lives. Help us not to deceive ourselves uh, like Israel was starting to deceive themselves at the end of this story as they start thinking like, oh, this is not a big deal. I can just kind of veer off course a little bit. God, I pray you'd help us to see when we start veering off course to see the, the dark and dangerous road that that's taken us down. Likewise, God, when we find ourselves way down a road like that, having really messed up and filled with guilt and shame over the mess we've made of the lives you've given us, would you help us to see in those moments that you are not condemning us, but that that's exactly why you sent your son Jesus, to rescue us to shine some light into our darkness, to take our sin on himself, to die on that cross and rise again to defeat the powers of sin and death, 
to set us free. Help us, God, to see your face looking at us with love. And yes, sometimes you're going to have to be challenging us to, to get our act together, to get back on track. But at the same time, God, you are providing your Holy Spirit to, to provide us with the strength and the wisdom and the help that we need to do what you expect us to do. God, there are some of us uh, in this room where our perception of ourself has been so severely damaged by past experiences, by the ways that, uh, that we've been abused, hurt by others. Our sense of self-worth is, uh, is not at all, well, we don't see ourselves the way you see us, God. We don't see the value that you see in us. God, I pray that you would bring healing to those, those wounded self-perceptions. I pray that you would remove the, the lies that we were told by people uh, when we were young. I pray that you would help us to believe the truth about who we are, loved by you, loved by our brothers and sisters in Christ. God, help us to see the, the person that we can be, transformed by your grace empowered by your spirit, living a life of love and grace here in the world. Sometimes, God, you might, uh, you might help us to see ourselves the way we really are by, by helping us to listen to others. Maybe it's somebody we've not been listening to, somebody we've been dismissing. We just thought they were a donkey. We, uh, God, I pray you'd help us to listen to the people around us as they try to tell us the truth about ourselves, whether that's good or bad. And then help us to listen to you, God, so that we can know the truth about ourselves. You are so good. We are so grateful for the love you have shown us in your son, Jesus Christ. We're, we're grateful we get to celebrate that today through this sacrament of Holy Communion, offering to you these gifts of bread and juice. God, we pray that by your Spirit's presence here, we might... Meet our crucified and risen Savior in his body and in his blood. God, we remember the great price that was paid to set us free. So help us to see ourselves as, as worth that sacrifice, as valuable in your eyes. God, we offer you ourselves, acknowledging our need of your grace, admitting that we have not always loved you with our whole heart, soul, mind, strength. We've not always loved our neighbors as ourselves. Forgive us, God. Be the gracious and compassionate God that we read about in Scripture, slow to anger, abounding in love. Thank you, God. As the Bible says, when we confess our sins, you are faithful, you are just, you forgive us our sins, and you cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Help us to see ourselves like that today, as people forgiven by you, washed clean, by you, no longer defined by our past failures and mistakes, but defined by your love, by your embrace, by your spirit empowering us to live a life in this world that looks like Jesus. We do pray that you will fill us with the spirit of Christ so that we can live in this world as the body of Christ, as your hands and feet, transformed by your love. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you pray with me the prayer Jesus taught us? Our Father, who is in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Um, the musicians are going to come and lead us in one last song as we celebrate communion together. I'll be here with this basket of bread and a cup of juice. As we sing, you're invited to come forward, take bread from the basket, dip it in the juice and eat it, and return to your seats. It's open to all of us who are saying yes to Jesus today. All of us who are hungry for his grace and grateful for his love. We've got the regular little pieces of bread, uh, and we've got some little gluten-free wafers, and we also have the little cups if, uh, if you need to take one of those uh, and take it back to your seat. Uh, <clears throat> otherwise, if you don't want to join the procession, I think we have those on most of the tables as well. And as we, uh, as we celebrate, you can take one of those and peel it back and get to the bread and peel it back and get to the juice. So again, this is open to all of us who are celebrating God's amazing love that he's shown us in Jesus Christ. Let's give him thanks. Let's celebrate. Precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on. Let me stand, I am tired, I'm weak, I'm warm. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me on. When my way grows drear, precious Lord, linger near. When my life is almost gone, hear my cry, hear my call, hold my hand, lest I fall. Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. When the darkness appears and the night draws near and the day is past and gone. At the river I stand, guide my feet, hold my hand, take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home.
precious Lord Take my hand, lead me on Let me stand, I'm tired I'm weak, I'm warm Through the storm, through the night Lead me on to the light Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. Amen. Thank you again, God, for the love and the grace you've shown us in your Son, Jesus Christ, and the ways that your Holy Spirit does lead us through this life. You're going to lead us now. As we go to all the places that you send us, fill us with the spirit of Christ, we pray, so that as we go, we can go as the body of Christ. We can be people who, who walk confidently through this world, carrying your grace, your hope, your love to all those you send us to. Thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.